guys, this week's episode is brought to you by Cardboard Safari, who make these cool animal wall hangings out of cardboard or wood so you can have this sculptural white deer on your wall without having an actual deer on your wall. Stay tuned for a 20% off discount code and check out all the animals they make at cardboardsafari.com YHL. I'm John. And I'm Sherry. We like home stuff. We like talking. And we like the occasional game show sound effect. So welcome to Young House Love Has a Podcast, where we have deep and not so deep conversations about DIY, design, and life at home. Today we're sharing two last minute beach house kitchen changes, including the big fight we had in the process, plus why foundation issues shouldn't scare you off, and the funny new name for the latest room trend. It's a big week. Appliances are coming to the beach house, guys. I'm going to get to do laundry instead of bringing things back and forth in the car and doing laundry. It's like a four-hour commute to do laundry. Well, you guys, if you read last week's post about how we save money on our appliances, you kind of, you know the deal with the appliances that are going to be delivered and sort of how we made some changes to our kitchen floor plan a bit to accommodate the appliances we wanted. But we feel like we need to take a moment to tell you a bit more how that went down. This is the behind the scenes. Picture me pulling the curtain back and revealing John and I screaming at each other because people are like, what do you argue about? We don't really argue that much about normal things that other couples argue about. Like money, we're the same page. We're both super cheap. We don't super argue about values or raising our kids or politics or religion. We're almost the same person in so many ways. But in decorating, there are some arguments where usually me more on the aesthetic side and John being more on the function side. Like they're usually me saying, I want it to look this way. And John saying, but I want it to work this way. Well, I think we also sometimes bump heads on the actual aesthetics. We're very generally on the same page in terms of look and style, but that's not for everything. Well, there's a whole segment on Instagram called John Said No. So like we don't always agree, but I don't think we really get into it. Like when I point to a giant life-sized horse and say, I want it, and you say no, I laugh and move on with my life. But this was not one of those times. No. And what we're talking about is the fridge dilemma. The recap of it is if you saw the original plans for the kitchen, we had sort of this skinny white fridge that fit on this very narrow wall for the kitchen. It's not a long run of wall space we have, and it's already taken up by this large 40-inch pink stove and two 24-inch base cabinets. And so we didn't have a lot of room to begin with for a fridge, but we hunted down this one we thought was going to be a great solution for it. It was skinny, but still had good capacity. And if you rewind six months ago, I was the entire time saying, can we put the fridge anywhere else? Like I was really trying to get the fridge on the back wall next to the back door, if you guys can picture that. But there's a sloped ceiling on one side that meant no. And the side next to it on the other side is really narrow. So it just wouldn't accommodate a fridge without it like bumping over that beautiful reclaimed molding. And we just, it kind of was a room ruiner no matter where we put it. Yeah. From like day one, Sherry was like, I don't think that's the best spot for the fridge. And I was like, I don't know what else to do with it. Like we probably had arguments five months ago where you were like, I think we did when you were laying it out because we were working on our computers, laying it out different layouts. And I remember saying, I don't think that's the best spot for the fridge. And you saying, well, then figure out another spot for it because there isn't one. Like, Well, then you do it. (laughs) Throws computer at wall. (laughs) Sherry's voice is not back enough to (coughs) 
laugh without coughing. I'm really sorry, guys. It's like three weeks of this. We'll try to make this podcast super unfunny, okay? Exactly. Stop making me laugh. Basically, what Sherry's trying to say is she was right all along. I was right all along, but you were also right in that it's not super functional to not have a fridge. You have to have a fridge in a kitchen, and you want to be mindful of that work triangle, you know, that distance between the stove, the fridge, and the sink. And so putting it way off somewhere else didn't feel like a good idea. But when we actually got into putting the kitchen together a couple weekends ago. Guys, remember how I said I can call things? I call the ends of movies. I call what John's going to order. I called the fridge thing. You called that you were right all along. (laughs) I just knew. Like I could tell we were inching towards the fridge going in there and John and I looking at each other and being like, dang, that looks bad. Well, I didn't think it looked bad at first. First, I was like, you know what? Well, wait, you have to explain what we did. So we mocked it up with cardboard. We made a cardboard dummy that was as wide, as deep, and as tall as the fridge. Because I felt adamant. You have to see the depth, the height. Like, it juts out. So you lose. You don't see a doorway you used to see. Like, it would completely block My argument this whole time before we mocked it up was that you're just not used to it. Once you see it'll be fine. Like, I was kind of hanging my hat on that it'll be okay and I will be right once we look at this. Because, you know, every kitchen has a fridge in it. Like, every kitchen has this tall element that sticks out. I mean, usually you have upper cabinets or some other kind of built in to make it blend and we were not going to have that. And even after we recorded, do you guys remember the episode we did where we talked about, like, things we changed in previous houses? This yeah. is the towering thing again. Like, we're back to kitchen number two that I just recorded a podcast about not liking it. This is exactly what was yelled at me, guys. <laughs> this is a reenactment Sherry's doing. So Sherry was, like, standing firmly in her no fridge there. And I was pretty stubborn about, no, we need a fridge there. And we fought about it for a little while. And finally, it was when Then we, there was silence. Yeah. The, the, like, mean, we're both mulling it I over silence. Like, I'm going to put together a different cabinet then. <laughs> I'm going to work over here with my <laughs> Allen wrench. I'm moving on. <laughs> Eventually, we both kind of admitted to one another that we've been contemplating that the breakfast nook would be better served as a pantry because it was not shaping up to be a comfortable or very functional breakfast nook. It was just a little too cramped. And so once we both said, what if that's a pantry? Suddenly, it was like the whole stress of the situation Ah! alleviated. Then we were laughing. We were making cabinets together again. (laughs) It was all good in the kitchen. The marriage was saved. (laughs) And so by figuring out that we could put a full-size fridge in there made us realize that we could do something in the main kitchen area that did not have that visual obstruction that Sherry was so nervous about. At one point, she said, let's just not do a fridge at all. We'll just have a fridge in the pantry. But I was still firm that I want something in the kitchen itself so that you can quickly grab like milk or butter or, you know, the things you're going to get frequently. And also, I just felt like it was going to be weird not to have any fridge in that space. Yeah, well, I agree. And I think the reason you won that battle is we were able to find a good looking fridge. A mini fridge. So it's not taller than the counter. Exactly. It's curved and has like rounded retro edges, very much like the pink stove. And they look good together. My other fear was like, it's going to be the wrong white. It's going to be like a cream. No, it's pretty darn close. It's really close. So it was as if it was made to be there. In fact, I think we have the exact same reveal. A reveal is how much wall you see where a cabinet ends and the trim starts. So on the left side of that run, you have like a five inch or four inch reveal of wall space. And I think we have the same exact four inch reveal next to this little fridge. Everything is perfectly centered on the wall, which you know me. Sherry Symmetry Petersick. So I'm like very into this solution. Well, and Sherry's leaving out that at one point, we were like, hey, let's just cheat everything over a little bit to give more room for the fridge. And we started to install it that way and realized, duh, we had all of our sconce lights and our hood vent already, already installed. Yeah. <laughs> so everything was like 
off by like five inches. I'm right. like, oh, well, crap, this doesn't work. But that was not the only change that happened that weekend that we were installing the cabinet. We saved one for the podcast, you guys. Well, we've mentioned a little bit that we are scrapping our original island counter idea. We were just going to do the butcher block everywhere. I recall recently recording a podcast all about the butcher block that's going into the beach house. Right. You're like, it'll be great, guys. Well, guess what? We're not doing it anywhere. <laughs> we did it for the perimeter cabinets, but we're not doing it for the island. And I was kind of nervous about this the whole time. Our plan had been we were going to take two long eight-foot stretches of this Ikea butcher block and use something like a Craig jig or something to join them together to make one wide slab because Ikea only sells them in the 25-inch standard width, like the width you need for just one set of cabinets. So since it was about 11 inches too narrow, you know, it wasn't wide enough to create that overhang on the island for the stools. That's why we're gonna have to join two together side by side to make like a wide super island. It felt like a decent plan. I was nervous about the execution. This is where you called it. John the whole time was nervous about this. And I was like, stop worrying. Butcher block by nature is blocks of wood, right? It's called butcher block. It's blocks of wood that are sort of glued together. But when we opened the butcher block from Ikea, I was like, oh. Yeah, it wasn't exactly as we'd pictured. I mean, we'd seen it online. We had not seen it in person. Maybe that was our mistake. It's gorgeous. And I love it in the perimeters, but it doesn't look like a big block of wood made up by smaller blocks of wood. Yeah, if you guys have seen like those cutting boards or even project panels that are a bunch of smaller planks of wood glued together. So you kind of see a bunch of lines where the grain changes. That's what we thought this was going to be. So we thought we could just hide our seam amongst them. But it was pretty clear that like, I don't know, if we put this together, it's going to look like two things joined together poorly. (laughs) Right. Because with a Craig jig, you make pocket holes and you can join things really tightly. Like there wouldn't have been a gap that crumbs would go in. It just would be a really obvious line. Yeah. And that line would have gone like through the sink. It would not have been good. And so fortunately, Sherry and I did not have to argue over this. We both were like, (laughs) oh, yeah, that was a bad plan, Peter Six. And we were like, what's Ikea's return policy? Good news, you can return it. So yep. it was not a loss of money. It just was a second moment during the kitchen install where we were like, this isn't working like we thought it would. Yeah, it's turning out to be a different looking kitchen than we had originally planned, but I think it would be better in the end. We've actually already picked out a piece of stone for the island. We're just waiting for an install date on it. We found a pretty affordable piece of quartz at a stone yard near the beach house. Uh, We actually templated it ourselves. To save even more money, did you know that? That if they don't have to make two trips, like one to template and one to make it, often many places will take money off. I've learned this from all my research. So we'll see if our measurements worked out. This could be another blunder we will be talking about later on the podcast. It would be a really stupid mistake because we checked it like four times. So I can't imagine us getting this wrong. It's pretty hard to screw up like a rectangle. Basically, It's basically how wide, how deep, and where the sink is. And the sink had me sweating a little. Like, where the sink is, if it's two inches off, it won't fit into the base cabinet. Yeah, that did come down to like a quarter of an inch measurement. So, knock on wood, everyone. This is going to be fine, you guys. Or it'll be terrible. You never know. (laughs) Well, and I also wanted to real quick tell a story from our event in Bristol. You know, in last week's episode, you guys heard the talk we gave there. But before the talk, we also had like a little meet and greet cocktail party thing that they had at the store opening. And we met like the nicest people there, including, well, there was one couple. They were very nice, but our introduction was him yelling at me. (laughs) He was like, you're the reason I had to paint stripes in not one, but two rooms. Yes. I I get this every once in a while where like from across a parking lot, a husband will scold me for him having something on his to-do list. Well, the irony is I did the stripes in the first house's bathroom without you at all. I mean, I think you helped me tape it off. Somehow it's my fault, guys. (laughs) Guys think John's responsible. Anyways, that was a very nice couple we met that lived right there in Bristol. But there was this other couple. I'm going to shout them out here. I know they listen to the podcast. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, guys. They travel
traveled all the way from Pennsylvania to come listen to us talk. I think they said it was like an eight-hour drive. Just the nicest humans. I know I think I already gave that. To Vern Yip. Did I give Vern Yip nicest human? There's the three-way tie because Chelsea and Jeremy, they're up there with Vern Yip. Yeah, they should all hang out, the three of them. They really should. So yeah, they drove longer than we did to come to the event. And Jeremy had crafted these turned wooden bowls that he gave to us. Like, they are beautiful. We'll have to put a picture of them in the show notes. They start with, like, a chunk of maple. I couldn't believe... Cherry, I believe he said. Oh, yeah, ch- maybe cherry. It's like if you gave someone a chunk of marble and they made, like, the Statue of David. The idea that these beautiful, smooth, glossy, wood grain bowls started out from a hunk of wood. It was just so generous of them. He's like, I thought it might work at the beach house. And I'm like, these are going to the beach house. They're already there. You've seen them in pictures probably. I'm always encouraged when I get to talk to male listeners or readers, because as we know, there are not a lot of them out there. And he was telling me the funniest story about how his wife was into the podcast and was trying to get him to listen. And he just kept like brushing it off. Like, I don't have time, whatever. Like, I'm not a podcast person. Right. I totally get it. (laughs) And then apparently some weekend when she was gone, he just was like, well, I'm doing something. I'll dip into it. And then he like binged it. And he had the funny story about how he kind of hinted to her that he had caught on. And he had this conversation with her where he structured it like an episode of Young House Love as a podcast. <laughs> it was like his tiny hints that he had listened. So he was like, so what's new with you? Because you know how we always do what's new first. He said he left out the game portion because he thought that would be too obvious. Right. But then didn't he say like, well, what are you digging? Yeah, and then but- she was like, are you listening to their podcast? <laughs> It was the best. And another funny comment was that driving in, a couple saw a helicopter, like in front of a house, just like a random person's house, which also is hilarious. I'm kind of sad I missed that. And they said, oh, I bet that's an Airbnb that John and Sherry are staying at. And I bet they came in the helicopter. And we were like, no, our Toyota's out front. (laughs) I was so impressed they thought that's how we rolled. (laughs) I know. I was like, I wish. Yes, we make sure we helicopter into every event. (laughs) Yeah, so to be clear, helicopter was not ours. Nope. So I have a game for you, Sherry. And this is thanks to Sarah on Twitter, who tweeted me a actually a picture she took of a page in House Beautiful magazine. Okay. And it was some like roundup of decorating trends, I guess. And one of the blurbs was about the new it room in houses. Basically what it was saying, and this is a quote, is that for fabulous homes that already include media rooms, fitness studios, meditation rooms, and his and hers home offices, the next space to have is... (gasps) Is it my dream room? Is it a hot tub TV room? this is not the guessing part. Oh. (laughs) Is another living room. And she was saying, you guys already have this. You have it upstairs, like our bonus room. So that's why Sarah had tweeted it to me. But I kind of don't believe in that because I don't like a formal living room and a living room. The bonus room upstairs is really great for like sleepovers and movie nights and the kids do crafts and play. And I think to me, that's I guess it's a similar. I think that's sort of what House Beautiful is saying. But they said there is a a weird new name for. Well, they didn't call it weird. I think it's weird. (laughs) A nickname for this sort of second living room. So I'm going to read you the rest of the blurb. I'm not going to say the nickname. And then I'm going to give you five options. You have to guess which is the real nickname. Okay. Yes. Here's the rest of the blurb. Located on the second floor and nicknamed blank, these comfy upper level hangouts are less formal and more private than downstairs living rooms and are the hot new spot for parent-kid bonding. Yeah, I totally believe in this. Every time I poo-poo a formal living room, (laughs) and I do it often. I thought you were going to say, every time I (laughs) poo-poo, hopefully you don't poo-poo in the second living room because then you're using it wrong. (laughs) 
mean that the way we live is not formal living room. No one would use it. But having a room tucked away, like they said, upstairs for kids to like make a fort and it can stay up for four days. And right. I'm, it's not like my main living room has a fort in the front of the TV and John and I can't watch Netflix at night. Like, right. It's nice to have it out of the way, and it's great for kids sleepovers and like loud games. Well, so we call ours a bonus room, right. but House Beautiful has this nickname. Oh gosh, I'm giving you five. It's upstairs and it's casual. Only one is real. Okay. Ready? I'm thinking the kid cave. Mm, that sounds like you made it up like man cave. The screen den. I mean, no. The leisure loft. That sounds good enough to be there. Is the leisure loft? Are you saying the other two are not good enough? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, number four, the chill chamber. You faked that. And last, the pajama lounge, or pajama lounge, if you wish. Northerners, I think, say pajamas. Southerners say pajamas. I say PJs, because I'm a cool mom. That's my guess, pajama lounge. You are correct. Yay! I know how you name, so I can tell when they're fakers. Chill chamber? Come on. What is that, like a porta potty where you hang out? Pajama lounge? I mean. I know it's a strange, it's a strange name, but it's kind of what we use ours for. It's like Saturday morning cartoons and sleepovers and always pillows and blankets and forts. Like it's very loungy. Who is going to use that word? Like, hey kids, let's go up to the pajama lounge. Well, that's true. I don't know. It's kind of charming though. I like kid cave. I mean, it kind of rides like man cave, mom cave, she shed thing. I don't know. I mean, Kid Cave sounds like I'm not in there. And I feel like the way we use it, it's like our lazy room. It's like the family's lazy room. That's true. I don't have to clean it all the time. If the kids leave like a giant Lego structure up for five days or a marble run for 10 days, I'm like, cool, let it ride. It's in the pajama lounge. (laughs) I almost added the sweatpants suite. (laughs) Oh. I thought that was too similar to Pajama Lounge. It would give it away. Yeah. But I clearly, so. I wasn't Sweat clever enough. Sweet would, wouldn't have been bad at all. Um, I will include a picture of this blurb from House Beautiful on the show notes at younghouselove.com slash podcast if you'd like to see it. And I guess maybe a link to our own Pajama Lounge. And also, I feel like we should put a, a poll. I love hearing from you guys, and we don't use polls enough. We should put a poll in the show notes. So go to the show notes, younghouselove.com slash podcast, and take the poll. Do you have a formal living room, just one living room, pajama lounge slash bonus room? Because I want to know. I know there are people who love a formal living room. My very best friend has a formal living room, entertains in it. She gets two Christmas trees for it. Like, it's a fantastic, amazing room. I've had formal living rooms. We've immediately made them home offices because we never use them. Right. I was going to say, that's what we did here. Our second living room downstairs, the formal living space, is a home office. Exactly. Because they didn't make home offices back in the day. Well, I think more and more people can work at home now. Well, yeah. It's a millennial thing. (laughs) Okay, I'm cutting Sherry off before she hacks more. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Because I'm going to play some music because it's time for a segment we like to call, Can We Just Talk About? Okay, so I am compelled to talk about with you. This whole perpetuated rumor by TV and magazines and everyone who wants to give you DIY house advice that foundation fixes are the most expensive fixes. I can't tell you how many articles or shows I've watched that say like, ooh, if the foundation's bad, just walk away. Or like the one deal killer is fixing a foundation. Because the more I think about it- I feel like that's been said on this podcast by someone at some point. Maybe- I thought it might've been in one of the quizzes. Did she say that? I mean, I think everyone hardcore says like, I can do it. But if you're a first time buyer, you might want to avoid it. Yeah, I feel like I have held on to this belief as well that of all the potential- damaging things you could find out about a house that the foundation is worst case scenario. Right. And so 
I am here to passionately declare that it is not the most expensive or scary thing to deal with as someone who has dealt with a really, really bad foundation. So let me just explain where I'm coming from and then you guys can draw your own conclusions. I'm not pushing this on you. I'm just passionately stating that replacing your roof or getting new siding or getting all new windows, all of those things, each of them individually is more expensive than fixing a foundation in almost every scenario. Well, but let me advocate a little bit for why this has been something that people are really afraid of, us included at some point. Right. And when you look at all the line items for our beach house, like actually fixing that foundation was not the biggest thing. No way. Not even close. We had to fix a slope in the floor uh, because it was dipping down at the back end of the house. And I think it was like a thousand bucks. A thousand dollars for people to be all up in our crawl space, adding beams, adding support. It had to pass inspections. You think that's a big deal. And it certainly is a big deal if they don't do it correctly. But when you hire someone who knows what they're doing, I think we got one estimate that was someone guessing it would be around three. And then our contractor we hired saying, I have this method I always use. I can do it for one and I can get your floors as straight as possible. Now, we also had that other foundation issue, which was that side that was kind of sinking into the sand because they had laid the block on sand. Right. That never had a proper foundation poured. Yeah. It was like a side porch that somebody then enclosed and then built a room on top of it. So right. it was sinking into the ground. That was a more extreme example. And that was a pricier fix, but not because of the foundation. It's because we had to tear off the whole side of the house and rebuild the whole side of the house from Which scratch. means framing, siding, windows, roofing, all the things that you need beyond foundation. Right. And those were problems not just because of the foundation. Obviously, foundation can affect framing and roofing. But in our case, it was because like the siding had rotted through, so it was open to the elements. The roof had caved in partially. So those were things that would have to be replaced, whether the foundation was bad or not. So I think the foundation portion of that was maybe three or four thousand. I don't no, know. No, not even that. Oh. I think altogether, it was probably three for all the foundation stuff. We knew about it going in. But if you're looking at a house and it's slightly sloped somewhere and someone says, hmm, that might be a foundation issue. My best guess would be that would be $1,000, well, maybe two. I don't know. Maybe 800 I know someone who fixed a foundation for 500 I think the point is like it does cost something, but it's not as crazy as you might think. And if you get an expert in there who can evaluate it and give you a quote, then you have the information and you can gauge your fear based on that. Like, oh, this isn't a scary thing at all. Or maybe it is more than you have to spend right now. Like you just have to arm yourself with the information rather than blanketly saying like, oh, no, a foundation thing. Because I right. said I was going to advocate for why I think this is a scary thing. And I think it's because when you are looking at a house and you find out it might have an issue with the foundation, it sends up some pretty significant red flags. One, that's an issue that you probably have to deal with right away. It's not like an outdated kitchen or an outdated bathroom right. or even old windows, which you could probably live with for a little while and then replace as your funds sort of build up. Because oftentimes when you're buying a house, like that's where your money is going, like to buy the actual house and to have any additional costs on it can be nerve wracking. Exactly. And I think foundation is something that's like not a DIY project for the average person out there. I mean, I am not brave enough to take on a foundation thing because if you screw it up, your house can fall in. Right. Like, it's, yeah, I wouldn't say that that's something you should get under there with a flashlight right. and try to figure it out. I mean, I know there are DIYers out there who probably could figure it out, but it's safe to say it's probably something you hire out, which always feels like more money. And it's also something that like you don't necessarily understand because you can't always see it. Right. Like it's a kind of invisible, hidden, scary problem that is lurking in the background. And I think that just feels scarier than a kitchen that has bad cabinets 
or windows that don't go up and down or a roof that seems to be past its prime. Like a foundation is just like a kind of a boogeyman it can feel like. <laughs> it's the inspection boogeyman. There, trademark Young House Love. Inspection boogeyman? Yeah, your inspection report. Oh, I guess. I mean, it's, it is the thing on the inspection report that makes people run screaming. But I guess I'm not here to say buy houses with foundation damage. I'm just here to balance it out and not say don't buy it if it has foundation damage. Get a few quotes during your process of inspecting or even before you offer. Because if you get two guys under there who both say 1200 you're like, oh my gosh, I have line items of five other things that are more expensive than that. I don't want to walk away from this house over $1,200. Right. Chances are you're paying a lot more for the house than 1200 So it's going to be a very small percentage. Basically, you just want all the people out there who are letting these sad houses continue to be sad yeah, I to wanna not be afraid of them. I want to save the old houses, guys. And you know what's going to be even more interesting? So the duplex will not need things torn off and thrown in the dumpster. Well, it's going to need some things torn off, like the <laughs> duct tape siding. Well, yeah, the siding is terrible. But I'm going to make a wager on the podcast. Oh, no. I might be wrong, but I am willing to bet that it will be under $1,200 to fix the foundation of the duplex, which is two houses joined together sloping, cracking, it don't look good, guys. But I'm not rebuilding any sides of that, and I just think it's it's not going to be my 10th biggest line item. I can name 15 things that are going to be more expensive than the foundation. I'm going to name them now. Pillows. <laughs> Ceramic animals. Right, exactly. Well, I feel like in a Instagram comment thread somewhere, this came up and you sort of made this case. And you had some people jump in, like I think even a realtor, who said, yes, thank you. All of my clients are always so nervous about this and it's not that big a deal. I think people picture the house needing to be jacked up like when you change a tire. You know how we see that on DIY shows? Yeah. We see like the most extreme examples well, of people like- they do have to do that. <laughs> right. I mean, they do support it in certain ways, but oftentimes it's like adding another beam for support and then very slowly cranking it up a little bit and putting another block for support. Like they're not lifting your whole house up off the ground like to dust under it right. and add different legs and putting it back down. Guys, it's basically up. <laughs> it's up. You put a bunch of balloons on the top. It lifts off. It's very poetic looking. And then it just settles nicely down. You have to pop the balloons one by one. <laughs> You know what's going to happen now, Sherry, though? You're going to get all the comments in the world. They're like, oh, no, I had this problem. It was $8,000. $8,000. Then my house turned into dust overnight. I'm sure that happens, though. I, I, there are certainly extreme cases of anything. I literally remember talking to the guy who went under our house. We had a mason who's really good at brickwork crawl under our house. And I said, if you're guessing 3000 is there a scenario where I could be surprised and it's ten? And he was like, no, I don't know of that ever happening. He was a Mason for 50 years. This guy was like a retired Mason. Like he had done it forever. And he was saying that's never happened. I know you guys are all going to email like, And then come the letters that say, oh, it happened to me. I just think it's one of those boogeyman items, like you said, where you guess like, is Trademark. it- Trademark. Is it 15 grand? And from our experience, it's worth checking out before you just kick something off your list because you're worried about the foundation. That's my impassioned plea. Let's save all the old houses together, guys. Crappy foundations and all. That's right. Well, now that Sherry has that out of her system, we're going to get into what we're digging this week. But first, a quick break. This week's episode is brought to you by Cardboard Safari. You've probably seen their creations before. They're these cool animals that you can hang on your wall, but they're made from slices of cardboard. So it's kind of like a fun modern take on it. And they've got so many animals. There's a moose, a bear, a giraffe, even a unicorn and a dragon. They're all made here in the USA, actually just about an hour away from us in Charlottesville, Virginia. But they seem to be showing up everywhere over the last few years. So we asked their founder, Chris Jesse, about that. What's like one of the most surprising places you've seen one of your products turn up? Oh, the original Jimmy Fallon show, he used our products to dress the set on the show uh, for a couple of different holiday seasons. 
with the deer sort of front and center over the top of the stage. That is so cool. You had no clue they had bought them? Well, we thought there was something going on. We had a customer in New York buy a bunch of things, but they wouldn't tell us. It wasn't like you were getting a direct phone call from Jimmy Fallon. Uh, that would have been <laughs> great. But apparently he's a huge fan and he instructed the set staff to try and make it work. So if you want some Jimmy Fallon approved wall hangings for your house, hit up cardboardsafari.com YHL and use the code YHL20 to get 20% off your first order. And actually, they have a lot of holiday-themed products, too, like fall wreaths and pine cone ornaments. You can see those all at cardboardsafari.com YHL and use the code YHL20 for 20% off. You know what I just realized, Sherry? Both of ours are holiday-themed. Look at us! It's that time of year. So this week, what I'm digging is that we just ordered our Christmas cards. Are you saying I am digging the fact that I checked something off my to-do list? I'm just saying I'm digging that it was easy, and I'll tell you why. For the last, like, three or four years, we've been ordering our Christmas cards from Minted. I think we got some coupon code or we got in their mailing list, probably from ordering art, you know, a 15% off or 10%, some holiday... Promotion came. Right, coupon came. came. We said, why not? We'll give them a go. We'll try it. Yeah, because they have really good designs, and I like that the cardstock is nice. They're double-sided, meaning there's, like, something printed on the back, even if it's just, like, a stripe where you can put pictures and other words on the back. Yeah, but I feel like these days, almost everyone has upped their Christmas card game, like Shutterfly and Tiny prints and vista print like everyone has pretty cards these days right no i think what we liked about it was weren't they doing that promotion about the the addresses this is this was the hook for me is so at the time they were offering free address printing so on the envelopes you got from them if you uploaded your contact list they would pre-print all of the addresses on them so we're not crazy but i think we send about like 40 or 45 every year and so that's a significant amount of time to sit and write out 45 addresses. Right. And you know I'm a fan of saving time because we have a return address stamp. We've shared that before. I'll put a link to that in the show notes too. But it's a self-inking stamp that in one minute I can return address 50 cards because I just go bang, 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 bang. I line them up. My tip is do it on a um, stone counter if you have one because they're really clean. The stone is really hard. So when you stamp down, it doesn't have any give. If you do it on a little wobbly wooden desk, it doesn't always make like a clean a stamp. magazine or some other soft surface, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, it can't be slick. It's got to be hard. Anyways, they were offering this and I was like, sure, why not? It also looks much nicer on the envelope when it's like all nicely printed. You look fancy, guys. Yes. Like it's a step away from calligraphy, which I'll never be at that level. So like this allows me to be near that level. And when I did this, I was like, I know what's happening here. I see through you, Minted. You are getting me to enter in my addresses into this contact list. So then next year, you can charge me for it. Guess what? Free the following year. Yeah. The next year, it was also free. I was like, even better because all of my addresses are already in this system. I'll get one more year out of this free promotion. And guess what this year, guys? Free again. Still free. So basically, I didn't send my cards out yet, but I ordered them all. And we update our addresses every year. We make sure that the ones that are in the system are still correct. It usually means like two of them we have to update in the system. But then when they come, it's a minute to get them out the door, which I love. So basically, what I'm digging is how easy it is when you have the addresses uploaded. And I like the templates. I was thinking maybe what I could do is do a roundup of like my five favorite designs, including the one we picked. So we'll show you the design we picked and a few other designs that are really cute. And hopefully they'll be 
running some sort of special or coupon code. If I find one, I'll drop it in the show notes too. Again, this is not sponsored by Minted. Also, we see through them because eventually they're going to charge us for the addresses. Yeah, someday they are going to charge me <laughs> out the wazoo for all the years that I have been riding this way, but I will keep doing it. And what I'm digging is something that I brought up around this time last year, but it is so good. I have to tell you guys about it again because now is the time to order it. It's this page a day calendar from Social Print Studio. It is 40 bucks and you have to upload 365 photos of yourself and your family and your friends or whomever you want to look at all year. And it prints this little block calendar with a different photo every day, a page a day calendar. You know how those things work. It looks like a little Polaroid. It has a little white frame. It has a very minimalist like Jan 30 or whatever on it. Like the date is very small and the picture is very big. It really truly looks like Polaroids. Our kids save them. They tape them inside their mudroom doors. Yeah, if you've ever seen that picture of our mudroom doors open, the kids collect them whenever it's a picture that they want to keep. We'll put the link in the show notes to the picture so you can see what we mean. And it is the best deal, I feel like, because for 40 bucks, you get 365 family photos. And it makes such a good gift. Yes. To the point that how many do we make now? I think these days we are printing eight each year. I started off just getting one for my parents. And then like the next year, me and my sisters, my three sisters ordered them also. And then we started giving one for our grandma. And then my cousin got in on it. And then my aunt and uncle. And so... I collect photos. I have everyone send me photos so that it's a mix of photos from our different families. And it's a just fun activity every day of the year, like to take turns, who gets to tear it off and see what the next picture is. Yeah, kids are so into it. Like, is it going to be me? Is it going to be our cousin? Whatever. Like the kids love it. And the photos are great to keep. Like at the end of the year, we pull them off of their mudroom door and put them in a little Ziploc bag so they can keep their stash in their memory box. So when they grow old, they can like pull out all these old photos from their childhood. Like, I just think it's a great gift. And 40 bucks, man, 40 bucks. I know. I think it really connects you as a family, what I was going to say. Because I think it's cute when like- Oh, now you're going deep. No, well, our cousin will text us and say like, love the picture today. I can't believe how little they were. And it'll be like our kids with their kids, but it's from last year. Yeah. That's the thing about the pictures is they automatically have some nostalgia to them because they're taken, you know- At least a year At least a year in advance to be in the calendar for the next year. And so it's really sweet. John's cutie puts like people's pictures on their birthdays around Christmas. There'd be Christmas pictures. Well, you're right. It is nice because we all have the exact same calendar. So we're all revealing the same photos. So sometimes we'll have a little text chain going to say like, oh, look, you know, so-and-so looks so cute in this picture. Yeah, or or like blah, 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 still makes that face. I think it's just a, a touch point. Every day, everyone's flipping the calendar. And I know it's sappy, but we're all looking at the same picture. And it's bonding. It's cute. In this world where we're all so frantic and disconnected, everything's digital. Just go on your computer and make this calendar. Right, exactly. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Young House Love Has a Podcast. And for listening to my weird laugh cough, which I am hoping someday will actually end. Well, and if you enjoyed this episode, please tell someone about it. Personally, I love it when someone recommends a specific episode of a new podcast to me because, you know, sometimes it's just hard to know where to start. So maybe tell them the show number or just send them a direct link. And we love, love, love hearing what you guys do while you listen. Like Karen on Twitter, who listened while unpacking her moving boxes after taking possession of her very first house. Congratulations, Karen. And don't forget to check out younghouselove.com slash podcast for all the bonus links, photos, and info from this episode. Like a peek at the countertop we picked for our beach house island. And that poll about what kind of living room you have. Take it. I'm really curious. Later. Bye. Well, I feel like you said this on an Instagram comment thread. Whoa. Well, our setup's falling over. <laughs> our precarious, highly professional podcast studio. <laughs> Four pillows stacked up. Who think they would shift? Right, exactly. Our stack of sound deadening pillows started to topple over. This is why I buy so many pillows. In <laughs> case they fall over, I need to have backup pillows.